All right, good morning, Grace. All right, kids, you can head to the doors. Go to kids' groups. And last Sunday of July. Want to say it's good to be with you this morning and, and welcome. We are glad, and as piggyback on what Anna said, we do really treasure our time on Tuesday mornings praying for you. And so anything's on your heart or your mind, you want us others to lift those up, we'd love to do that. And I consider that. And like she said, we do pray over cartoons that our kids draw. And, um, and sometimes they have some really powerful little statements of prayer. Like they want people to not be hungry. And write that. So we, we lift those up too. God is more than able to handle what we would say is impossible for us to do. So it's a, it's a blessing for us on Tuesday morning. So glad you're here. We are in Matthew 5. And um, we're finishing it up today, and we'll be uh, continuing into Matthew 6 next week. Darren will be back with us. Uh, We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is a passage. This is a teaching that Jesus did. And he, as he taught it, I'm guessing that Matthew was taking notes or took notes at some point. And then we had the blessing that Matthew has penned it and all, and we can see it. We can read this great teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Powerful. It's tough sometimes for us to read because there's some strong teaching and strong words in there that Jesus says. Matter of fact, years ago, there was a professor that, uh, I guess he had an issue with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, and some other, over 30 books, actually, and a lover of Jesus. Uh, and he, uh, this uh, the professor, criticized him. Basically, one of his criticisms was that he thought C.S. Lewis didn't care for the Sermon on the Mount. And when C.S. Lewis started, or read the criticism, and he was thinking about it, and um, I'm going to paraphrase his reply, but basically it was, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I feel like I'm being hit in the face with a sledgehammer. Because these are powerful words. And for C.S. Lewis, he thought, it's hard to read this and to be happy-go-lucky and take it with great tranquil pleasures. I think he finished his quote. It's it's a tough teaching, and I think if we're we're not careful, if we just kind of blast through it, we're going to miss things. And even here in Matthew 5, right at the end, this, I think, if we read it fast, and this is the love your neighbor... And then it has some words about enemies. And I think we read it fast. We go, okay, I got this, and then you're moving on. But if, I think if we, and I want to this morning, if we unpack this a little bit, I think we'll find it's, it's very challenging. It was challenging for those who heard Jesus speaking it. And I think it's challenging for us today. So let's look at it. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who only love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't 
even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and for the blessing it is to read this in our language. And Lord, for you to use it to move in us and to make us more like your son. We're so grateful and so thankful. We do continue to pray that as your word is translated in, in more and more languages, that more people who have not had the word of God in language that they understand will soon have it. And that reading these words would impact them for eternity. So Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I think of this uh, passage and when I was thinking about enemy, um, I was trying to go through my life, trying to think of people that, quote, would be an enemy or they would look at me as an enemy. Um, one thing that God brought to mind, though, was he said, what about those you're just not going to come in contact with? And the illustration or the example I got was traffic. If they're not in my car, they're an outsider, they're in another car. And what's my heart like? You know, when they're not driving appropriately, and that's my opinion, <laughs> they're probably safe. Uh, but when I get a kind of in my heart, I'm short fused or I'm kind of like, what are you doing? Turn right. There's no traffic, you know, and doing all that. And that's one thing God brought to mind. I'm acting like they're an enemy. And then I started evaluating my own heart. And I was thinking about that and unpacking that this week. So it's not just people that maybe I have some contact with and maybe there's tension in the relationship and all. But also for me, it was that heart attitude in general. And in, and in people. So uh, that was one thing that um, impacted me this week. All right, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So here you have Jesus and he, as he's uh, continuing this message and he transitions into this and he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And you could might hear some or see some nods, people as they're listening to him. Uh, he is referencing Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18, okay, which says, Do not take revenge or bear grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Something's missing there, right? I don't see hate your enemy in that, in that command in Leviticus, that instruction. So don't bear grudge against members of your community. So when you think community, that's kind of the people that are like us, you know, or people that I do life with, family, friends, my church family, my teammates, my classmates. You know, it's kind of a this is us and we take care of us and then everybody else is outsiders and extreme case, others are enemies. Uh, but human nature, we generally want to take care of those that are like us. Now, years ago, uh, my brother had a 370Z deep, dark purple, cherry, I think was the color, beautiful car, and apparently one weekend a year, and I don't know if they've done it since COVID, but they have Z days. And so if you have a Nissan Z, you go up there, and it's near the dragon's tail, which is a 
11, I think it's an 11 mile run, has 317 turns up there on the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee. And if you run that route, you better have Dramamine if you're a passenger. And I took some when my brother took me for a ride on it. Um, but they basically rented out this place and everybody that came in and stayed there for the weekend and they had bands and they would all take turns and they would go run the dragon's tail with their Z's and then at the end then you come back so you're doing 600 turns. Um, when my brother took me to the other end, I, we, I had to get out for a little bit and go, that was fun, give me a minute. Um, but everybody back at the place, it was like everybody had one thing in common, and that was Nissan Z's. They talked Z's all weekend. Okay? Now, I liked my brother's car. It was fun, but, you know, after about an hour, I'm like, hey, anybody want to talk sports or something else? Um, but, you know, they had that in common, and when they were riding around, they would do the wave. If it was a Z and if it was a Hyundai, it just, you know, they would, it was, so that was their community in that moment. That was their common thing that they had together. And, and you think the Jews, they did the same. You know, they took care of us, the Jews. Everybody else were outsiders, the Gentiles, the Romans. I mean, outsiders, enemies. And over time, it had been added by scribes and Pharisees, they kind of elaborated on this, Leviticus, and added that. And part of that kind of welled up was, hate your enemy. Now, if you and I would look in Scripture, we were going to be hard-pressed. Matter of fact, we will not find God in Scripture saying for us personally to hate enemies. Now, they may have pulled uh, some accounts... Um, won't read it to you, but Psalm 139, uh, 19 through 22 is one, and then Psalm 149 through 11. Um, those, God did deal with people groups who were rebelling against him, and, and, and his promise, his prom, the promised land for his people were coming in, and these who had rejected him, they, he was going to be moving them out. And there were consequences for their rejection of, of God. But it wasn't God saying, you hate your enemy. But they had kind of come to that point in their mind of, of teaching that we take care of us, our community, the Jews, but everybody else are outsiders, they're enemies, and we will treat them differently. And Jesus was going to contradict that teaching and actually raise the bar even higher. It wasn't going to be just a... Um, don't hate them. And we're going to see that in just a minute. All right, verse 44. He says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is that verse, I think, if we read it fast and keep going, we'll probably go, hey, I got that. Jesus says, love all. I got it. I got it. And then you just kind of move on. But I think if we camp out here and really look at our hearts, this is challenging. And when you see this, when he says, but I tell you, okay, now all, all scripture is inspired by God. It's, it's all God's word. Here you have God in the flesh, stepping out of eternity, putting on flesh and bone, and he's here speaking. And when he says, but I tell you, it's like, hello, listen, Jews, as he's teaching what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, but I Authority, full authority, eternal God. He says, but I tell you, 
And in their mind, they've already been thinking, I love my neighbor, love my Jewish neighbor, hate everybody else. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So love and pray. Now, love, we're looking here. This love, it's a verb, it's an action. So you could almost see it as do loving things for your enemy. Do loving things. And, you know, it's, it's somebody that I know, it's going to be a different connect with me as opposed to me and my immediate family. Um, but I, I am called to care for that person, called to love, called to serve. And, and here Jesus is saying, do loving things for them. And then pray for them. So he doesn't just say it. He, he gives us some action steps. Love and pray. All right, so love, do loving things. And I, in my mind, as I was thinking about this this week, it also came to mind, speak well of them. I don't speak falsehoods, but I need to make sure my words are seasoned with grace and mercy. I shouldn't be uh, hurting someone else with my words. So... I can't say something nice, just be quiet, but speak well. So figure out how to do loving things for those that are opposed to us. He says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So pray, that's an active, that should be ongoing. And when I think enemy, think do it daily. Now Christ, of course, modeled this, right, on the cross, he was praying for those who were persecuting him, who were crucifying him, and he was praying for them. And Stephen, he, he did it too in Acts 7 when he is on that dusty road and they're throwing rocks at him, and he, he, is, he is not harboring ill will or hatred for them. And so it's modeled well. And Paul tells us, uh, Romans 12, 21, Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's where I think when we... Are, are mindful of this, and how can I be a blessing? Can I, what can I do for them that would extend the love of Christ to them? Now, I'm very grateful that I'm able to be mobile and to run around still. Um, my dad asked me every so often, are you still doing those ultimate, that ultimate thing, that sport? And I, yeah, dad, I am. And he just nods, just shakes his head. Um, so I get to do that, and I get to do, play on a soccer team. Now, the, the difference is, one thing I've noticed, in ultimate, every season, we get new captains, we draft, and the teams are different every season. You'll have a few people that you know well or you played with before, but you'll have some new teammates. But over time, when the season starts and there's four teams, I know people from all the teams. And so when we play each other, it's fun. I'm, it's like playing with friends. Now, one difference on the soccer team that I play with is it's the same soccer team. We pick up a few new players each season, but for the most part, it's us, and then you have the other teams, and you don't really know the other teams well. Now, I, I do like the, the, the piece of, of, of doing season after season with teammates and getting to know them better and, and looking for opportunities to, to be Christ uh, to my teammates, um, but I have seen that well up a little more in the us and them. Um, so one thing that, I, that I've been doing, just a little thing, but 
one thing on a soccer night is I try to walk by the other team before the game and greet them. How's it going? What's up? You know, and, and just begin to make a connect with them. And then while we're playing, I try to find ways to talk or banter while we're playing. Unless I'm trying to breathe and catch my breath and get a sub. Um, but I have found that in general, that kind of breaks walls down. And it reminds us, hey, it's a game. It's not a us and them. It's a little thing. But just words of kindness or they make a good play, I compliment them. Um, I think that in life, so we can do the same. You know, you, we have that coworker, that classmate, that neighbor that may get under our skin a little bit. But can we find ways that we help break those walls down, that our words and our actions would help? Now, Jesus is telling us to love and to pray. And as we do those things, verse 45, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. All right? Now, so we're doing those things. So loving and praying. That doesn't earn us, okay? We're, we're, when we do those things, it really most shows the fruit that we are in the family of faith. We're not earning our, the, the title or the position of children of God. That's kind of the outflow because we are children of God. And so in you and I, we should strive for that, uh, that we love and pray because of who we belong to, that we are God's children, as followers of Christ. For, he's, for he's, he causes, and this is, he does this for all. I think for looking God's goodwill for his creation, that there are some blessings that all of creation can see. It can, the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the evil, and we see the benefit of that. And in that day and age, they, it was critical for them. They needed sun. They needed rain for crops. All that, those were very important things. And when God blessed earth with that, both the righteous and unrighteous were getting a blessing from that. Now, two weeks ago, we were in, up in the mountains, Lake Lure, uh, the lake, and then the mountains on either side. And one thing that was uh, shared with us, he, he said, if a thunderstorm rolls in and you're on the shore and the thunder roars and it just echoes around the canyon, uh, the mountain and all, across the lake, and it just, he said, it's, it's deafening, but it's, it's awesome. So just a glimpse that even people that aren't followers of Christ would see there's evidence of a great God. And he's showing it. But he extending a blessing to all people, to his creation. The sun rises on the good and evil. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Verse 46. For if you love those who love you, so if you love all the people who drive Nissan Zs, everybody else, eh. no, he says, if you love those who love you, only love if you love those who love you, what reward would that be? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. Now, who wrote Matthew? Tax collector, Matthew, before his calling in to follow the Lord. I'm wondering when Jesus said this, is Matthew taking notes? I wonder in that moment if Jesus caught Matthew's eye and kind of winked, like, got you over there. You know, and what did Matthew think? But he, he pins it for us, so we see it. All right, 
tax collectors, as we know, they, they were traitors. The Jews, they, they were straight up. You may be a Jew, but you're an enemy. You have partnered with Rome. Straight up, you're an enemy. And here's Jesus saying, well, if you do like, you just only love those who love you, you're like the tax collectors. And that would probably be, I'm sure there were some that kind of bristled up when Jesus said that. And challenged them on that. Don't even the tax collectors do that? If you just love your own? And if, verse 47, you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Now, greeting, like I said a minute ago, I, when I walk by the other team, how's it going? What you up to? How's it going? It's hot today, or the field sure is in bad shape. I mean, but a form of greeting. Now, back then, that was important, but they would only greet. They wouldn't greet Gentiles or Romans. They, would, they were like, this is something we keep to ourselves. But he says, if you only greet your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Now, don't miss that middle statement. See it? What are you doing out of the ordinary? I think that's a when I read that, it's sobering, and I, and I begin to think, what am I doing out of the ordinary? That statement. I think if you and I would really camp on that and then think, how, how are we acting with those? Really, all people, but think specifically here. Somebody who would see us as an enemy or we see them as an enemy Am I doing anything out of the ordinary? Because the ordinary would be ignore them or just try not to make waves or just in and out as fast as I can. What am I doing out of the ordinary for them? Because the Gentiles, the tax collectors, they do it. All the tax collectors, Matthew and his buddies before Christ, they were all taking care of each other and greeting each other and all that. Gentiles, the Romans did. You almost see all these pockets of people, and they were all kind of living together, yet totally focused on each other. So I think that for, for us, how about us at, at work, on our team, in class, in our neighborhood? How are we interacting? I, our neighborhood Facebook page can drive me nuts sometimes when I see the drama it pops up, and I have to be careful because sometimes I'll read it, and then I want to see who, who wrote that, and I really don't need to know because I don't want, if I'm going to meet them in a social event in the neighborhood, I don't want to have something that's going to <laughs> make me be biased or make me look at them very and quickly put them in a category of different from me, opposite of me, an enemy of me. I don't want to do that. In London years ago, there was a lady who loved the Lord and was doing ministry. And she got word there was a, a young lady nearby who was very, very sick. And so she got the address and she went and it was a just beater, just a building looked like it was about to fall apart. And she made her way to this one little room and she knocked on the door and the door cracks open and they're looking at her as like an upper teenage lady, very sick, pale, just bruised, 
and just smelling everything. And, and she's like, can I help you? And the lady said, can, can I come in? Do you need something? And so she let her in, and she, she looked around the room, and she said, hang on just a second. I'll be right back. And she, she went, and she came back. She brought some firewood. She put some firewood in the fire, and she lit the fire. She had picked up some medicine, and she began to help her. She changed her bed linens. As she was doing all this, this, this sickly uh, teenage girl was looking at her, this one little bare, gray, dark, damp room, and she's just, she doesn't know what to think of this lady. And then the lady says, can I pray for you? And this girl looks at her and says, no, you're just trying to get into heaven. Well, weeks passed. That lady continued to go time and time again, knock on that door. And some, some mornings, that girl was so sick she couldn't even open the door, so she would let herself in, and she would take care of her. Weeks passed, and this young lady recovered. And right when she's almost fully back to health, uh, the lady came up to her, and she said, you're almost all, all the way well. This is going to be my last visit. And I love you. And I want to ask you, may I kiss your cheek? And this lady leaned over and she planted a kiss on the cheek. The face that had loved her, that had been doing loving things to her, had been praying for her, that face met a face that had been bruised, had been sick, had been hurt, had been cold, had been lonely. And when those cheeks met, a heart broke. A teenage young lady met the Lord. But it was a lady persevering, even though that girl was saying, you're my enemy, she continued to do loving things and, kind, and showed kindness to her. And a heart was broken. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, our, our, our God did not lower his standard of, of no sin, perfection. And we, everybody, us and everybody that has lived before us has not been able to meet that. And God didn't lower the standard. He sent his son. And his son met it perfectly, totally without sin, in word thought, or action. And then Jesus went to and paid the price for sin for us. He met perfection. Now for us, he's, he's not, Jesus is telling that audience and us today, because we are sinners. And for many of us in here, we're sinners saved by grace. We're followers of Christ. But he says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, perfect here, mature, complete. And so what Jesus was calling Matthew and the others, he was calling them to follow the Lord in obedience. And for me, I think, think the same. And I, as I imitate Christ, I become more like him. And I, I want my life to be a blessing to others. I want to have words that speak life and speak kindness. I want to do kind things to others and be intentional about it. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So when you and I are doing this for our neighbors, 
and our enemies. We're like Christ. And here's God, and he's looking at his creation that is chosen to rebel and sin. And he shows common grace, and then he sent his son. So when I think about it for us this week, I hope I'm, well, it'd be great if I was the only one in here that had names come to mind. But we all probably have somebody And maybe it's somebody who calls you an enemy, but you don't necessarily see it that way, but that's the way they see it. But we all probably have somebody in our mind that's that's under our skin or somebody that just grates us and drives us nuts. So, one, I'm I'm asking you, asking me, if if there's somebody like that, and then one, let's pray about our hearts and what, what our mindset is with them. And then what I would encourage you to do, and you can write it in your Bible, in a notepad, in a journal, or put their initials if you think they may see it, but write it down. And then I would say this week, would you love and pray for them? Write their initials or their name, and then think, this week, is there something I can do, a loving thing I can do for them? And what is that? And then Ask God and to help you, and then you do it this week. And then pray for them by name. Because as you're loving and praying for somebody, if you're going into that connect and they're your enemy, I believe if you're following Christ and you're loving and praying, you're going to quickly find you don't have an enemy. They may still see you that way, but your heart will be you see them not as an enemy. And again, Christ on the cross And he wasn't hurling insults and hatred at those who were doing that. He was praying for them. So may we be like Christ in that. So when I I was thinking about this message, my first title was easy to say, easy to do, question mark. You know, because we go fast. We say, yeah, I got it. Love my neighbors. I I love my enemies too. And move on. But I think if we're honest, it's, it's not necessarily easy to do, but with Christ's help, we can, we can do it. So that was my first title. My second title came along was How to Destroy an Enemy. And I would say how you destroy an enemy is to make them your friend. And again, we can't handle the other side of it. They may still see us with hostility, but we work on this side, and we be uh, Christ to them. And it would be hard to have enemies if somebody came to mind, and you and I said, nope, I'm going to start praying. That person came to mind. They are now on my prayer list by name, daily. And I think you and I will find that we have fewer and fewer enemies. Alexander White uh, years before, when he was a child, he was in a severe accident. And as they were checking him out, they were thinking, he's going to lose his arm. We need to get him to the hospital. And Alexander's parents were just like, and they were just floored, and they just couldn't believe it's going to happen. They had a neighbor that was a nurse, and she said, please wait. Let me see what I can do. Let me try to nurse him and help him and see if I can save his arm. And his parents were like, okay. And those doctors at B said, okay, we'll give it a little bit of time, not long, because this is critical. 
And so she began to minister to Alexander. He was in intense pain. Sometimes it was just through the roof kind of pain. And she was tending him and caring for him and ministering to him. And he was just in agony at times. And she, you know what she would say to him? She'd say, I like the pain. I like the pain. She said she, she liked it because that meant there was feeling and there was healing happening. And over time, his arm was saved. So when you and I read Jesus' words, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but in period, when there's tough sayings and there's conviction and there's working in us, that's what's happening. There's, there's feeling and there's pain, but there's healing happening. And so surrender to the Lord. Okay? So let's love our neighbors. Love God, love people, right? And then let's love and pray for our enemies. I think, again, we'll find that we, we have fewer and fewer that we would call enemy. We call them friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, it is, it is tough. And, Lord, we do acknowledge that there are some that um, grate us, um, annoy us, maybe uh, persecute us. But, Lord, you're a holy, pure God, and in our sin we have done all that and far worse. And yet you sent Christ. And so we humbly give our thanks to you for for the blessing to repent of sin and to turn and to put our faith and trust in your son, Jesus, because of his willingness to follow you all the way, modeling it. And even this, Lord, that he modeled those who would call him an enemy, and yet he uh, did not hate. So, Lord, help us as we um, wrestle with this this week. May we not be haunted by the question, what are we doing out of the ordinary and have nothing to say. Help us to be doing the extra, to be a blessing to someone else. Lord, thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.